Let's talk about some of the best available tools in the 2024 MLB Draft. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And this episode's brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started. So before we get into the new year and we start doing the team-by-team farm system previews for 2024, I want to put a bow on our MLB draft coverage for this year by talking about some of the best individual tools available in this draft. Now, when I was jotting this list out, it is very college-heavy. And if you think about that, it makes sense from a power tool hit tool perspective, individual pitches, for the most part, your best versions that are going to be college versions. I think it also somewhat speaks to the strengths and the weaknesses of any specific draft. College hitting, it feels like this is, again, nothing's going to match last year's class, but this feels like a very good college hitting class, feels like a pretty good college pitching class, and then high school pitching and high school bats are lagging behind somewhat. And the high school class as a whole, maybe one or two in the top 10 as of now, as we enter the spring and everybody gets that one last chance to showcase what they can do. But if you're starting with the hitters, the best individual tools, I want to look at hit tool and then power tool, both raw power and game power. And I think there's some important distinctions there. And For the hit tool, I promise it's not always going to be guys at the top of the draft, but it makes sense your best hit tool would be found there. The guy I'm going to go with is Jay Weatherholt from West Virginia. Something where I've seen 70 grades put on the hit tool, right? He's a career 381 hitter. And I think the reason why he gets the nod over somebody like a Travis Bazana over a Nick Kurtz is just how exemplary Jay Weatherholt's statistics are and the underlying metrics behind how well he can make contact. In college, Jay Weatherholt's career slash line, 381, 466, 635, right? And then that's the usual 21 home runs, all that stuff. He struck out 65 times in 514 plate appearances. Now, this is not to the extent or to the level of a Jacob Wilson of Grand Canyon last year who had something like, I want to say 18 strikeouts in the entire season. But this is, if you consider the fact that he spent two, he's now spent two different uh, full seasons in college and has 65 strikeouts in that. When I talked about the underlying metrics, Jay Weatherholt has a 90% contact rate. So when he swings, period, 90% contact rate. 
And when he swings at a pitch in the zone, it's a 94% contact rate. And as much love as some of the other very good hitters in this draft get. And Nick Kurtz from Wake Forest, the first baseman, is an example of somebody who is seen to have a plus hit tool and a plus power tool. Even Nick Kurtz, that zone contact is 85.8%. From every possible way of looking at it, J.J. Weatherholt, in essence, stands alone at the top. And the farther that we go... As I'm diving into the class, as I'm watching film, as I'm reading scouting reports and talking to people who spend their entire scouting directors and folks who spend their entire lives in the draft class versus I'm covering prospects and we do a lot of draft stuff in the offseason, I'm beginning to think that Jay Weatherholt is probably the better pick at number one overall for the Guardians if they don't go after Nick Kurtz. And speaking of power, Nick Kurtz, game power, raw power. I'm going to select him for the game power, right? We know what he's done as far as just be able to impact and power production. He has 39 home runs and 110 career games. It's a 708 career slugging percentage, including 784 last year. Now, there is a caveat here of Wake Forest's ballpark makes Cincinnati's ballpark look big, right? So Nick Kurtz, I mean, he has the advantage of a good ballpark, right? But still, uh, 708 slugging percentage, 39 home runs in 110 career games, including 24 last year. I feel like he's pretty easy to say that's the game power that you want. But for raw power, there's a couple more options, interesting guys to talk about. Jack Caglione of Florida, the two-way player, the left-hand pitcher in the first baseman, is a very good choice here for raw power. And honestly, he's a candidate for game power as well. Jack Caglione, average exit velocity last season was 93.7 miles an hour. And I'll remind folks, we did a whole show about potential number one overall picks and spent a whole segment on Jack Tani if you will. The end of October, I want to say it was the 27th. If you're on audio, if you're on video, I can leave a little card up here in the corner you can click on to go see that. But 90th percentile exit velo 93.7 is average exit velo of 93.7 is good. 90th percentile exit velo for Jack Caglione, 113.0. Now, yes, he's using a composite bat. That's not would and we don't have summer ball info for Cags to say what he would do with a wood bat. I've swung a composite bat. A composite bat does not make you put up an extra 10 mile an hour of exit velocity that you weren't going to already be able to create. I'm confident that Cags would have at least 65 grade raw power, if not more, right now. Uh, even with Wood, and I'm honestly excited to see what happens when he gets a chance to hit with Wood in a minor league organization. There's a couple other options here for guys that I like that have great raw power. Some of them high in the first round. Charlie Condon out of University of Georgia is a guy, outfielder, first base. 
Uh, Tommy White, the corner infielder from LSU, formerly of NC State, Tommy Tanks. He's another choice for a guy that has a ton of raw power. Dakota Jordan from Mississippi State also came up in that episode with Mark Etheridge, a guy he was watching from the SEC. Another option for somebody that has fantastic raw power, and there's just the question about how it translates into game performance. But in just a minute, I'm going to steal a minute from uh, this segment and give it to the next one, because we're going to talk about some of the best individual pitches, as well as some of the best control and command in this class. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. You can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. Uh, incredibly easy to use app, and there's a ton of betting options, spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get going as we wrap up the NFL season with FanDuel, the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. Okay, so talking about the best individual tools in the 2024 MLB draft class, again, almost all of these are collegiate players. That's just how it works out. We need to do something like this for the prepsers a little bit later, but that that class takes a little bit more time for me to dive into to be familiar with them before I'd be comfortable doing something like that. Fastball is the pitch that everybody likes to talk about, right? That is the pitch that everybody, um, that is the glamour pitch, right? That's where you're looking for the big velocities and stuff. And I've got two different fastballs that I want to present to you. And one of them is a prototypical super fast fastball, right? The velocity is phenomenal. And the other one is not, right? It has some unique movement and some great metrics on it, but the velocity actually isn't that great. So for a pure fastball, give me Brody Brecht from Iowa. Fastball sits in the upper 90s. It can touch 101. It gets plenty of run on it as well. And like, spoiler alert, you're going to hear Brody Brecht a couple times. He's a candidate in a couple of these categories. He's just very put together, very good pitcher, a guy that I like a lot. So the fastball is phenomenal, hits 101. The shape is pretty good. It has good run. The issue with Brody Brecht's fastball, and I think the reason why you don't see him necessarily being discussed in that top five, top 10 picks, although we did send him at number eight to the Los Angeles Angels in our mock that we had. You can go back and find it about two weeks ago here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Is he threw the slider a lot more than the fastball. And so he doesn't have the control he needs to have of the fastball. And you combine not having great control with not using it as much. And it, it makes it difficult to say, yes, he should be the number one guy. The fastball slider, they're both very good. I would put that one-two punch up against a guy like a Paul Skeens who went number one overall. The difference is Skeens had great command and control of both of those pitches, as well as a very good secondary or tertiary pitch, really, in the changeup, where Brecht is slider, then fastball, 
And then he has a splitter, which, again, I really think it looks really good. He can't command it hardly at all. He walked 61 guys in 77 innings last year. I think he was like third or fourth in all of college baseball in walks. And so the fastball by itself is good. He just doesn't necessarily have uh, the best command of it. A guy that uses his very well, that has the whole package, Michael Massey of Wake Forest. Only sits about 94 on the fastball, and that's the thing that throws a lot of people off. But it's a cut-ride fastball. And so because of that, it's going towards the glove side as it comes in. So it sits mid-90s, has that, that cut to it, has the ride up in the zone. You combine those, 40, greater than 40% swing and miss. So like greater than 40% whiff percentage on the fastball for Michael Massey. Very good pitch. One of those where if it was three miles an hour harder, you would call it the best pitch in the draft, right? You would call it the best fastball in the draft if it had more of that explosive velocity. But just from the metrics, it's a very good pitch. Uh, Tyson Neighbors of Kansas State is a sleeper here for fastball. I actually have him also has a sleeper as breaking pitch too. A good two-pitch combo you maybe should look into a little bit later Outside of the top of the first round is Tyson Neighbors of Kansas State. For the best breaking pitches, I've got some options for both curveballs and sliders. I deliberately did not break them out. I didn't think I'd have time. Uh, But for curveballs, the two that I'm looking at is Thatcher Hurd of LSU. We had him going to the Atlanta Braves at pick 24. It is an incredibly high spin curveball, right? Almost 3,000 RPMs. And because of what he can do with that curveball, it gives him the ability, because the fastball velocity doesn't always maintain, right? He sits 92 to 93. He'll start off averaging 94, touching 96, and he'll, it'll back off later in the outing. He can up the amount of curveballs that he throws. He, he'll end up an outing throwing 30% curveballs, but he'll, he can throw, he'll throw a lot more heaters early and then mix the curveball in more as he goes. But it is a very good curveball. And I think you'll probably see him come up from the 20s if he can maintain that velocity deeper into a start. And then really trying to work on that third pitch as well. Trey Savage of Easter Carolina, one of the sleepers for the draft. Uh, He has a spike curveball he throws in the low 80s. Big fan of that pitch and what he can do with that. When you're looking at sliders, Brody Brecht, again, I mentioned he had a good fastball slider combo. His sits in the high 80s, and it's a slurvy type of pitch, right? So it breaks down and away from a right-handed hitter. Uh, Again, good velocity to it. Good spin. The late movement on it is what makes it so dangerous. So another good option there. And Chase Burns, uh, transferring from Tennessee to Wake Forest, another option that has a, it sits mid to upper 80s. I've seen him throw it out as hard as 90. It's, it's two plane break. It's not so much sweep as it is. It just gets really deep into the zone on you. A lot of late movement to it. And so, very, very good slider for Chase Burns. I think you have that. You have a fastball that sits mid to upper 90s. 
It's a great one-two. We talked about this last time. Can the Wake Forest Pitching Lab help him with that changeup? Because I don't know if the changeup is that great uh, for Chase Burns, but a lot of Wake Forest pitchers have gotten those. And so I'm curious if they could add that third option in there. Uh, Brady Tiger, another breaking pitch that I really liked. But uh, speaking of changeups, I feel like this isn't a great college class for changeups. And I think it's because some of the prominent lefties, like a Hagen Smith, guys like that, don't necessarily use use the changeups a ton. And if I'm going to take a changeup, I usually like to take a lefty changeup. But Drew Beam out of Tennessee. Uh, he has one that he'll actually use. He throws it about 12 to 15% of the time. Really firm changeup. So it's not, it's it, it has more spin-induced movement than just what gravity does. Gets about a 35% swing and miss percentage. And the batting average allowed last season, I, had, I asked somebody, I got this slipped over to me, was about 174. So only a 174 on the Drew Beam changeup is pretty good. Uh, some of the other options, Ben Hess of Alabama, more of a traditional changeup, has that good fade to it, sits in the mid-80s. I think that's another one of those really good changeups. But again, just... Not necessarily a ton of fantastic changeups in this class. When you look at control, there's two guys that stand out to me. If you're looking at the first rounders, because that's usually what people at this point in time, unless you're a big draft guy, unless what that's what you know about. Josh Hartle, the lefty out of Wake Forest, 172 innings so far in college. He's walked 48 batters. So that's it. Uh, something where one of those big, tall lefties that's like a, a sinker slider kind of guy has a curveball, has a cutter. The slider's a sweeper, so throws a lot of different things. The slider changeup really work well together, but he just he can land it all for strikes. Again, 172 innings, 48 walks. He's done 17 innings in the Cape Cod League, did not walk a single batter there. If you're going back in the draft a little bit farther, Daniel Avita of Grand Canyon University. The last two seasons, his walk rate's been under 6%. He's pitched 167 innings with 38 walks. Now, the ERA's been closer to 4, 15 and 6 records, so that's good. But again, win-loss doesn't necessarily matter in the minors doesn't necessarily matter in college. The the issue that he has had has been more so about some of the quality of the stuff. He's it's a very good fastball, right? And it comes out of a very low launch angle, so he's got that very low vertical approach angle, right? Velocity's not necessarily it's upper 80s to low 90s, so you're having to bank on some physical development to be done. The changeup's okay, the curveball's okay, but it's mostly just, I'm going to throw this fastball in the zone, it's going to be hard to hit because I can locate it, because it comes out of a really low arm slot with a really low release point and comes in flat to the plate, it's going to fool you up in the zone by how little it's going to drop. I like Daniel Avidia from Grand Canyon, but again, just a little bit more work on one, velocity, and two, developing those secondaries. Feels like a high floor kind of guy. In just a minute, let's talk about some of the best 
physical tools in this class. The speed, the defense, the arms. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Final segment of the Wednesday show of Locked On MLB Prospects. Real quick, want to remind you, Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows, including this one, covering every league. So go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. It is coming to Amazon Fire Devices and Roku TVs soon. Okay, so uh, some of the best physical tools in this class. I'm going to look at, or tools in the field, right? I'm going to look at speed. We're going to look at arm. We're going to look at defense. And this is one of those where I feel like this class is a little bit lacking, right? You don't really have their standout shortstops, center fielders, catchers in this class. In our mock, the first catcher that went off the board, I believe, was at 28 to the Houston Astros. And we actually had two go off the board back-to-back right then. But first catcher taken was at the end of the first round. When you're looking at outfield arms, or arms in general, I'm sorry, arms in general, there's two guys that come to mind in this class. And again, I don't think it's really a great class for this. But when you're looking at some of these, one of the options, Braden Montgomery out of Texas A&M. He's an outfielder. Was you know, also a pitcher, transferred from Stanford to A&M. Uh, because he, and it's weird, right? On the mound, the fastball is great velocity. Sits around 97 or so. He can't control it that well. Like he doesn't have great command of it. He has a cutter. He has a breaking ball. That's good stuff. But in the outfield, that arm is phenomenal. And he's got the accuracy of it over the longer distance to put it on the money and get the out. I still think as of now, he's probably inside the top 20. If I just had to find a place to put him, I think we sent him to the Toronto Blue Jays at number 20 on our mock draft. A lot of this is going to come down to, uh, one, how well does he do at cutting down on the swing and miss? He got better from his freshman to his sophomore years in Stanford. That's something they're going to have to see at Texas A&M. And then what happens on the mound? Does he continue to try to play two ways? Does he get drafted as a two-way player where they let him pick later? I think he's probably a little bit better as a position player than as a pitcher. And it feels like this class has a lot of two-way guys that you're going to have to wait to see which direction they go. But best outfield arm, Braden Montgomery of Texas A&M. Best infield arm, I'm looking at Caleb Lomavita out of Cal. Something where offensively, it's the power's not necessarily great, but he's he has good contact ability and can put the ball all over defensively, it's something where he might not stick at catcher, but the arm is a plus arm. He can put the ball on the money. And you look at some of the catchers in this class, your Jacob Cozart, 
you're you're Malcolm Moore out of Stanford. It's guys where I don't necessarily know how much the arm and controlling the running game is part of their game. Whereas Caleb Loma Vita, about like they don't know if he's gonna what position he's gonna stick at because of his physical build. He's only 5'11", 200. But I really think that he at least has the arm to shut down a running game from behind the plate. The question is, does he have everything else to stick out there? Defensively, a couple different options here. This one was tough. Again, there's not really a lot of standout guys here. Uh, Anthony Silva, the shortstop out of TCU, is one of those players that he's not a flashy defender, but he makes all of the plays that you need made. And again, I don't necessarily think there's that slam dunk, amazing infield defender in this draft. Just like I don't know if there's an amazing slam dunk center fielder in this draft or even an amazing defensive catcher up in the first, you know, that's they could hit well enough to go in the first round. But Anthony Silva, to me, defensively, a pretty good option. Vance Honeycutt out of UNC has all of the tools to be able to play, stick in center field for at least for a while. I think he would be a center fielder at the next level, but there is some, some kind of questions about that. Will Turner out of South Alabama, I think is an underrated defender. He's got, he's a little bit of a longer frame, 6'2", and so there's offensive questions about what kind of power he can get and some of the holes in his swing. But athletically, defensively, I think Will Turner is a very good center fielder. Uh, I think he's probably one of the better ones in this class. And then Anthony Overn out of USC. I got a chance to watch him play when USC came to Auburn last year. And a very good defender was his freshman year last year. So I believe he'll be a draft eligible sophomore this year. Uh, Committed four errors, I think in 169 chances. Only had four outfield assists, but again, only had four errors. And I think if you were to ding him for something it would be dinging him for the arm maybe not matching with the defensive prowess when you look at speed there's not anybody in the first round that is considered to be a slam dunk as far as speed is concerned and an obvious 80 grade guy right there are fast players there is not an obvious 80 grade guy Seaver King out of Wake Forest plays some shortstop, plays some second base, plays some outfield. I think he's a guy that has, I would say, 65 grade speed, uh, nice and quick. Austin Overn, again, from USC, another guy that has very good speed. But there's not burners in the first round. It feels like the profile of this draft is plus runners in the outfield and a guy like a Vance Honeycutt. And sluggers, right? You have guys like Tommy Tanks. You have guys like Nick Kurtz, Jack Caglione with massive bats who play corner out, corner infield positions. There is a guy in this class that I think has, has probably the closest thing to 80 grade speed you're going to find out of this college group. And it's Darian Pendergrass was at... Juke, I believe it was Spartanburg Methodist College and then transferred to College of Charleston. But in his in junior college, those two years in junior college, stole 75 bags. And then for the summer, 
went to the Coastal Plain League, which if you think about the tier rankings for different summer leagues, the Cape Cod League is number one, obviously. It's a bunch of Power 5 conference guys scouted by all the MLB teams. Right below that is Northwoods. Right below that, I think, is Coastal Plain League. So it's one of the three best summer ball leagues in the country. He played 32 games in the Coastal Plain League and was 35 of 40 in stolen bases. He's probably the best thing that we have in this draft to an 80-grade runner. But another area with which this draft lacks is that Enrique Bradfield first-round burner who plays 70-grade defense. That's not a profile that you really see out of the college group in this year's draft. You do have some prepsters that are fast. I don't think you have any prepsters in the first round that are 80-grade fast. And so again, it's just it's a profile that's a little bit missing because this draft feels like it's a little heavier on power than a lot of other drafts are. Fantastic week this week. Couple more shows coming up. In the meantime, if you have questions for us, uh, ideas for a show or a segment, something for the Monday mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, shows on Twitter at Locked on Farm. Uh, everything else in the episode description, in the show notes, there's a subtext, there's a Discord, email, all of that. Uh, also, link to our podcast survey. I wrote this to try to hear what you guys want to know about for 2024, what you want us to do more of, to do less of, all of that. So feel free to jump into that as well. And remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer. Oh,